Baptist Church. Is this thing on? Okay, I'm just checking. All right, everybody can hear me today because I have been waiting 20 years to preach this sermon. In 20 years, I have a file drawer full of notes that's this thick. Don't panic. I got it down to this. Ah, there you go. I love this series because just the title makes me feel good. And today, as we wrap up the Friending series, it gave me an opportunity to stand up here and share a couple of things that I feel God laid on my heart when I was very young. And that is the importance of friendship and how we treat each other and the way that that molds and is used by God. And today, as we take a few seconds, because this, I'll be honest with you, I'm going to get into this thing. It's going to fly by. If you're here at 945, I am going to be surprised. There you go. I was just waiting for that. <clears throat> But as we begin to talk about this through the friending aspect, it's something that was put on my heart because I grew up a preacher's son. And I shared with the youth this week before they went back to school that there's a couple of things that I absolutely love about my life. And I absolutely love the part of my life where when I was growing up in a church over in Alexandria, Kentucky, I had five people that were my friends. And you know what kind of friends I'm talking about. They're the friends that you call when you're bored and you go hang out and you do stuff, usually bad stuff. An example, um, when I was 17 years old, 16, 17 years old, um, a major construction job went on US 27. And when they began this major construction job they had made it a four-lane highway but when they put it by the hillside and actually this hillside is now slipping over again whenever I drive over to see dad I see this same place but it's known as low gap hill and you start going down low gap hill and they have to block off the lanes and what they did is they came up with this new thing that I'd never seen they came up with traffic cones which were the orange long stick things and they drive those things into the blacktop, and they separate the lanes. And the good thing about it is when a car hits it, you bust out your light, but you don't hurt their cones. I can't figure that one out. But my friends, these five guys, we all got together one night. I remember one of them, he's a prominent doctor who is on your television all the time talking about it, but I am not going to mention Trace Curry by name. Um, I did. Trace Curry over at Christ Hospital. You'll see him come on there. He was in the car with me, another friend of mine, Robbie Miller, who's a respected lawyer and uh, down in eastern Kentucky. And 
myself, we take off in my 72 Nova. It's about 11.30 at night, and we have one goal. We wanted one of those cones. Now, me being the oldest, I had to drive the car. So we started up Low Gap Hill, and we're starting going down there, and the first thing you do is you look to see if there's any. Okay. Didn't see any. So we swung up the hill, went up to Payless, which is the gas station, and started back down the hill. My side door opens. Robbie runs out. I'm watching in my rearview mirror. Robbie's out there in the middle of the highway. We had no idea those things were attached to the ground. And it's got a bungee cord. And in the middle of the highway, here's Robbie pulling this thing. I mean, he is just yanking for all it's worth, and we see headlights coming. He comes and jumps in the car. Drive back down the bottom of the hill. Come back up, didn't see any cars. Trace goes, I'll do this. He says, Jeff, he says, you just give me a second, you go out and do it. Trace jumps out, grabs a hold of that thing. He's standing out there in the middle of this four-lane highway, grabbing that thing. No cars coming, but he's yanking, trying to pull that thing. And see, it's amazing that people become doctors after they do stuff like this. Didn't work and hops out. So I noticed something in my peripheral vision. Saw lights coming, said, hop in the car, we made the loop again, and I said, guys, I'm going to get out and do this. I'm driving the car. So halfway down the hill, I stop and put it in our park, run around to the backside, and they go, where's he going? I walked over in the weeds, and I picked one up that had been knocked off by a truck, and I threw it back in the car and said, there you go, are you happy now? So the moral of that story, the banker was smarter than the lawyer and the doctor, Okay. They went to school a lot more years than I did, but I was a lot more smart. But they were my friends. They were my buddies. And we've got stores, stories about frog gigging. A couple of weeks ago when I preached, I told you about Oreos. And I said that Oreos, that when you cook them, I found out that the white stuff will burn. They were with me that night. You know, we found out in an open fire as we tossed Oreos in there that the filling would burn. And there is nothing greater in my memory than those friendships, and remembering how we just did all this crazy stuff, but it was about being together. When I think about my friends, I have great, wonderful friends. I consider everybody in this room that I have met up to this point a friend, and I truly say that. I can sit up here in front of you today and say, there is nobody in my life, and it took me a long time to get this, that I hate or despise. Now, there's people that rub me the wrong way, just like anybody else. But law says that I have to raise my children. And as, I'm, <laughs> as I sit there and I think about all the people, it, it's something that you really have to come to in your life. You have to get to the point in your life when you start to figure out what really matters. The trick is about Trace and Robbie, we don't talk, talk or see much of each other anymore. And we really don't live that far apart. But when we do, and I think you know what I'm talking about, you get together with that person that you shared those times with, and you just start, and it's like you haven't missed a day. Those are the kind of friends that you cherish. And as we look at this friending thing today, I'm going to point out a couple of things that are probably very obvious to you, things that you understand about being a friend and being a Christian, but hopefully it puts you in a perspective of where you understand it maybe just a little bit differently, and you become influenced 
to start trying to make a difference in their lives. And I'm talking about Christians and non-Christians. Um, when I sit there and I think about friending, I know that there are a lot of things that are going on in this world. And one of the worst things that happens in this world nowadays when it comes to friendships is this thing. The other night I'm sitting at a table with my family in a restaurant. And the first thing I do is I pull out my phone and I start looking at it. And I look around the table and every one of my family members has their phone out. And they're texting and talking. Now the excuse is I can do both at one time, multitasking, I can do that. But the truth is, you don't. If you're ever distracted by this thing and it takes your time away from just your family, beware. And I'm not saying that this is a satanic tool, but I'm telling you this, that everything that we have in this world can be used for good and it can be used for evil. And it's really the one thing that I really battle in my life about my children. Because I know that if I want to cut their life off, I shut their dad off. That is why I love AT&T. I have this little app. I push the button. I can shut each one of their dad off, you know. And they call me, Dad, what's happened to my dad? And I'm going, I have no idea. I just don't. But the truth is, I long for the times like I had. And this sounds really nostalgic. And a young person's going to look at me and say, well, you're just doing one of those old things where you're just remembering the way it is. No, I'm remembering this because I covet those times and wish that my children would have it. I had a conversation with somebody out there in foyer. And as we were walking in and talking, um, the truth is that when I was growing up, that there was no downtime. Eight o'clock on, on any morning in the summertime, I was out of bed. If I wasn't out of bed, that means my mom and dad are getting ready to come and get me because there's hollering going on outside, going, hey, Jeff! Jeff, you up yet? Come on! Come on, get your bike, let's go! And we were heading right down the road. And only in those times when you spend time together and you don't have anything that distracts you are you going to be able to build those kind of friendships, that closeness. So when I'm talking about this today, I'm very aware about the fact that there's social media. I'm also very aware, I'm a father, I'm a man, about the importance it's put on sports in this world. There are people that are not in church today because they're tired from all their sports yesterday. And God help us when that becomes to be the excuse why we're laying in bed on a Sunday morning. Because then we're starting to devalue God in our relationship with him. But yes, we're increasing the relationship with this world and saying, hey, it's all about this. It's all about the prize. A bunch of sermons ago, I shared you the statistics. But less than 1% of all students that play any high school sport will play college. Less than that number is the number that go from college sports to the pros. 
And it's simply amazing that in this world that we are willing to give up our relationship with other people and with God because we have this ambition for our children, because we're not willing to step up and say, you know what, stop. Church and God are more important than all this stuff over here. I told you I've been waiting to preach this one. But I stand before you guilty. Forgiven, but I'm guilty. Because there's times in my life when I'm watching my son at the age of five that I'm, you know, he, knew, he could name the entire red starting lineup when he was five years old. And he'd go to Red's games with me and my dad and go over there, and that was the biggest thing in his life. And he and I have had talks about it. I said, you know what, Brent? I said, if I could do anything over, I would make you know more about the Bible than your sports. Now, I'm blessed. Because from the day that he accepted Christ in his life, while he's screwing up, while he's making mistakes, while he's falling on his face, while he's making people mad, while he's disappointing himself, while he's struggling, he still tries to push through and have this relationship with God. And that's nothing that I'm doing. The only thing that he knows in his life is that dad works at church, so church has been my life. My kids know that if they can't get a hold of me on my cell phone, the next people that they bother are Joanne and Bonnie. And they do. Matter of fact, it's so bad that this week, I didn't tell you this, Joanne, I'll tell you this now. Um, you are now listed as the emergency contact for Brooklyn over at school because, you know. Well, you know. You like that? We have a great, great working relationship. Or we did have a great working relationship. But I say this as we get ready to dive into Scripture. That we can't be in the mode in this church, outside of the church, we can't be in the mode where we're willing to throw up our hands and say the world's right, let's do this, and let's forsake one of the gifts that God's given us just to please ourselves or to make our life a little bit easier. In the book of Acts, we have it up on the screen. In the book of Acts, chapter 2, verses 42 through 46, I'm going to ask that you stand up with me as I read this. See, here's where we get lost, Christians, and I forget this all the time. This isn't just a guide to the way that God says that life should be lived. This is the answer book to how my life as a Christian can be a whole lot easier if I'm willing to accept it. But reading in these verses, starting in 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles, teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe and many wonders, Miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. And it goes on to say this. It says, they went on and they sold their possessions and their goods. And they gave it to anyone that has a need. 
every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all, or of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily, and those were being saved. Let's pray. Father, as we read this word, as we pull it apart and allow you to teach us, I just ask that my words be your words today. Take me out of this. Father, I believe that there's a message in here that is important for today. There is a message because there's individuals in this room whose hearts are ready and they understand they're just waiting for a way to answer that call. So I pray for them especially today. Allow their hearts to be penetrated with your words. Let them know the direction. And allow us always to use this as the insight for our lives. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You can be seated. Now, a couple of ways I was going to approach this, but the one that's most common to me is small groups. Because when I read that section of Scripture, I understand what is happening here. The church is early. It's being formed. But what God is giving the model as, he's giving it as a small group. Because in each one of those things that I read in this Scripture that's going on, I know this has happened in a group that I've been a part of. Now, a lot of you, you hear me talk about being a part of small groups. There's a reason why I'm dressed this way today. Because I am firmly in the belief that I've got to be the person that I am. Anybody in here had me make a hospital visit to them in the hospital, okay? I've swung by and seen people in the hospital, okay? This week I go and see Buddy Rice. As I was in to see Bud, saw him over at the hospital when the surgery's going on, and I stopped by and saw him. Both times I go in in a T-shirt and a pair of shorts. And I go in in these shoes. Now, these are the rattiest old shoes. Brown, you want to come here and touch them? Brown won't touch these shoes. These sit by the door. These are my sketchers. They're pretty well worn out. They smell really, really good to me. But the trick about these shoes is what Jeffrey McDonough and I share. Whenever I put these shoes on, there's something that doesn't go on. What is that, Jeff? Oh. Socks, yeah. Many of you don't know this, but one of the things that happens when I see Jeff in church is he'll walk up to me and he goes, you're wearing socks? Today, he was walking by, shook his hand, he didn't even say it, and I went, not wearing them. Because if you are dealing with me in comfort, I'll be honest with you, jeans, t-shirts, in the wintertime, I'll wear a hoodie, and it's comfortable to me. And I really believe, and my, fa my father will disagree with this, because if he ever shows up here, he showed up for Brooklyn's baptism two weeks ago over at youth. Everybody else is, I'm in shorts and a t-shirt baptizing my daughter, and he's got a suit on. He's got a tie on, okay? I love my father, but I've seen that suit a million times in my life. And I know that people see him, and they know that that's him. But I know that people see this, and they know it's me. And I can tell you this, that while I was over visiting Buddy in the hospital the other day, I'm sitting in there, and the chaplain at Christ Hospital comes walking in. And I'm just leaning up against the wall. And he looks in at Bud and he goes, 
would you like me to have prayer with you? And Bud goes, it's all right. My minister's here. <laughs> Mary, my shorts, my T-shirt. I think I have my Smoky Mountains hat on. <laughs> Sitting there going with these shoes on, no socks. And the first thing I notice him do is go. And he turned around and looked at me and goes, make sure you do it. And he went out the door, okay? <laughs> so his impression of me was not of a ministerial person. But I understand that. And that doesn't bother me. Because I want people to feel comfortable around me. And I think that when people are comfortable around me, it knocks down one of the walls that can keep me from being a friend to those people. I'll tell you one story that's very true, and this is not an indictment, that when I was in Alexandria, I grew up in that church. And I can remember one of my friends in the church that was in a group with me. Um, his name was Joe Rebel. And Joe comes walking up to me one day. He goes, I want to tell you something. He says, forever, when you've come over to the house and I've been mowing grass, he said, I just prayed you didn't see me drinking that beer. And I looked at Joe and I smiled and I said, Joe, when you're out there sweating, I have heard that there is nothing better on a hot day than a cold beer. And I said, don't ever think that I'm coming over here and looking to see what you're doing and not doing because I'm not keeping a tally. And instantly, in that moment, our relationship changed. Matter of fact, it wasn't too long after that that he had some struggles going on in his family life. Never done it before. He picked up the phone one night and he calls me and he says, you know what? He says, I was sitting here thinking about this and he says, and you're the only one that I think that I can talk to. I don't know if he would have done that before we had that conversation in his yard. See, there's a lot of stigma that comes with being a pastor. And I told Kendra this when we got married. It's what her mother told her. That when you're a pastor's family, you live in a bowl. But it goes the other way. There's a lot of times when people, I don't know what it is. Because I, I always think, I said, do I say something? You know, Do I do something to keep them at arm's length? And... But I know that there's people that say, well, you know what? He's a minister, and he's not going to understand this, or we can't have him come over here this because this is going to happen. Now, I'll tell you that in recent years, a lot of that has fallen away. But wouldn't you rather be friends with people that are themselves? Jesus Christ had those kind of friends. He had tax collectors. He had fishermen. And he knew all their backgrounds, but he was still their friend. In any place that he walked, he was offering forgiveness. So it doesn't surprise me when I read the book of Acts in the beginning of the early church that he's talking about all the believers and the numbers were being added to them because they had learned from the master. They had learned that it's not about pointing out a person's fault, but it's being there for the people when they fall. So the three points that I want to make are this. There are three qualities that make up great communities. Now, I've got a video. And I want to show you this. And a lot of times, this is the perception of what goes on in small groups. But I'm going to tell you that it is not the norm. 
That's a good way for us just to laugh at it. So if you've got that one, go ahead and run that, Rob. I can't believe you'd say that. Well, I, but you don't even know the, I do, too. But you don't even know the full story. You say that every time. I hate when you say that. You're just like your mother. I'm off sugar for Lent. I'm good. I'm trying out this no carb thing. I'm on a cleanse. No, it's okay. I shop at Trader Joe's. Is this coffee fair trade? Is this drip? Do you even know how bad this is for you? Is this non-GMO? You know, non-genetically alterated. Is that gluten? Oh. All right, what did I miss? That babysitter flaked. And they're not coming this week. I don't think she's coming this week. Did they not text you? Mike's gonna be late. So is Drew. Bill's gonna be late. Sorry, I'm late. I'm not sure Tuesdays are gonna work for me anymore. I can't do Thursday. I got things on Thursday. I moved to the beat of my own drum. Carpe do it, man. I love how you don't feel the pressure to clean. It's one of the things I love about you. It is so hard to find your house. I mean, every house looks exactly the same. Do you have cats? What's that smell? Hey guys, we've kind of gone past the allotted hangout time, so... So you think that's what the Bible says? Well, my Bible doesn't say that. I really want to go deep with this one. I forgot to read. What chapter are we on? We should do a DVD study next time. Jesus did not believe in trickle-down economics. Who did you vote for? That would fix the problem. Well, that's just confusing. Is it okay to bring our kids next week? I am never having kids. <laughs> no. I don't have kids, but I know exactly what you're going through. My puppy is so hard. You'll understand once you have kids. Travis, go to your room. You're grounded. Okay, prayer request? I, I haven't unspoken. If you could pray for my coworker's second cousin's foot surgery, that would be great. If you wouldn't mind, just say a prayer for my grandma's parakeet. She's been throwing up a lot recently. Anyone want to close us in prayer? Jump in if you feel led. Anyone? Okay, fine. I will close. Someone else wants to open. Anyone? Yeah, every one of those cliches and every one of those terms, I'm not going to lie to you, I've heard in a small group setting, but it doesn't define what we are. The first thing I want to tell you about this is, you'll see on there it says that we have to be a refrigerator kind of people in a community. I believe that I actually put it in there as, we have refrigerator rights. Refrigerator rights. A lot of times in your home, when you open it to somebody, you always keep them in the living room or the room that's clean. If you know somebody's coming over, like Brianna does, Brianna is the white tornado because she will fly through the house picking up every shoe and everything that she can because she doesn't want her family to embarrass her. All right? No, shake your head. All right. That's not my family. And if you're a person that showed up at my house sometimes, the things you'll see is junk sprawled all over the place. You'll see book bags here. You'll see shoes piled up. You will see a dog usually laying on the couch because we can't get him off with all four paws in the air. You know the thing. 
Zero is great for that. You'll see a kitchen that needs to be painted really badly. But right now I'm working on the bathroom. You will see bad spots in our ceiling. You'll see a hole or a, a push in in the wall where my son doesn't know what happened. He just knows that it went in one day. But at any time, my sliding glass door is open. And I can be honest with you that there are times that 11.30 at night or midnight, Brown's witnessed this too, that I've had people show up at my door. And they just slide the door in and walk in and they'll sit there on the edge of the couch, the old beat up couch, and they'll say, I need to talk to you. And in those moments, I am so thankful because God has given me the position, not that I know it all, but he's given me people that are my friends and they trust me. Now, when I think about friends, I would tell you I have to turn the pages of all my youth groups. And I've talked about John Y. I can talk about Megan Ray. I can talk about so many kids that have gone through the youth programs over the years. This week, Joey Brendel was at Bria, came up and he says, I want to have, um, I want to talk with you. I said, that's fine. And Joey comes up and he played basketball on Wednesday night. Mm-hmm. Something happened on Thursday morning that n- never ever happens. Joey and I met for breakfast that morning and Joey says, I'm buying. When he said that, I was like, hamana, hamana, hamana. Um, when he said that, I instantly went back to how many meals that a bunch of guys had gotten together in the car and we'd driven up to BD's Mongolian Grill and killed it. I can remember all the places that we've been, all the Krispy Kremes that we've gone through together. And in that moment, I looked at him, I said, nope. I said, this one's on me. I said, because I'm celebrating the fact that you've finally gotten to the point where you will buy my breakfast. And he looked at me, he goes, but I'm not buying your breakfast. I said, no, we, we're going to do baby steps. You've got to let me get used to the fact that you're willing to do it before I let you do it, okay? But that's refrigerator. When those people come in my house, they don't see anything different. The reason why I'm wearing these clothes, because this is possibly what you'd be seeing. I was going to wear shorts this morning. Then I realized I had to do the second service. Um, not saying that you guys are a lot more open-minded. I'm just telling you. That. But those are the kind of friendships that I want my children to understand are important in their lives too. And it's not the kind of car I drive. It's not all the status. It's not where I can take people on vacation. It's not all this stuff. There are things in my life that I cherish. And one of those things is knowing that at any time, when Jeff's struggling, I've got a whole multitude list of people that I can call on. And this weekend when I was over with Bud, I sat there and I watched people from this church show up and pray with him and sit there during his surgery. And I'm sitting there going, that is a direct result of being a part of a group whether it was Sunday school, whether it's just hanging out at the little place drinking coffee, it's group time. 
don't forsake having that refrigerator moment. Don't ever struggle with that. Don't ever feel like you've got to be something you're not. Because the second point is this, that we all have flawed feet. There's a lot of things that I've shared from the pulpit over these last couple of months that I don't think that I could have ever shared. There's a lot of things that my family knows about me that a lot of people, unless you're in my house and you listen to how loud the arguments get and the struggles that we deal with, you wouldn't know that about me. But I don't look at those as woe is me or feel sorry for me or I need you guys to do this for me because every one of those flawed times in my life, it's a teaching moment for me and for my family and the people that are around me. Because what I want people to know is that when they walk in these doors here, we don't claim to have all the answers. If you're a guest today and you're coming here for answers, we've got them. But they're not going to come from all of us. They come from Jesus Christ. And when we as Christians understand that that's our calling, not to be speaking into people's lives to give our own advice, but instead using the advice that we've lived through and the struggles, mixing that with what Jesus Christ tells us is the truth, and letting that truth speak into that person's heart, that's what we're called to do. And when you do that, you change the world. But when you start to change the world, start in your own home. Be able to look at your family and say, listen, we're not perfect, and we love it. You know, that's why I think I like those 70 shows, like the Brady Bunch. Because those kids, there was, no, there was no doubt in my mind that they had struggles and they had problems. There was always a moral lesson to a Brady Bunch story, wasn't there? Yeah. My moral lesson was I wish I had a cook that I could go in there. She always had cookies and stuff. They were already ready. But Mom would never hire Alice. Um, But there are so many times in our lives when we struggle so much and we just say, you know what, God, I can't let people see me. I can't let people know where I've been because I don't know how they're going to react. And I guess I'm very acutely aware of it just because of the way the world is working right now. That we need friendship and we need to love one another even more now than we've ever done it before. I've got people on the news. I've got people in, you know, in barber shops, in hospitals that I talk to, telling me that, well, you know what? I guess that's just the way it's going to be. And they're almost throwing up their hands. And I realize, because I've read the Bible, I know what it says in the back book. The days are going to get longer, and it's the struggles are going to get greater. But I don't ever see the... the little underlined area where it says and you know what Jeff when that happens just go ahead and stop investing in people you know what Jeff at that point in time don't worry about people so don't be afraid about your scars because we all have them matter of fact use those in a way that's going to change people's lives people are going to be able to talk to other people if they know that they're not going to get a sermon, 
or I told you so, or you're stupid, or you're, you're, there's something wrong with you. Because as those people are looking for answers, the only thing they need to know is that Jesus Christ loves them and can love them through anything. And I believe that in the bottom of my heart. The last point when it comes to friending and having friends is that we fight lions. I have two friends. They have a musical group. They're breaking up this year because one of them's had cancer and struggled, but I've known them for years. They're called Lost and Found. They're Lutherans. And they do what they call speed music. And they have a song that's called All Them Lions. And a lot of the youth know it because we've gone to see them in concert and stuff like that. But the verse says, All them lions, they can eat my body, but they can't swallow my soul. So I keep on trying, or they keep on trying to crash my party, but I won't lose control. Guys, there is a lion that walks through this world every day trying to devour all of us, and that's Satan. And while that song is stupid and goofy, it still does my heart good because when I'm at a concert and stuff like that, I'm usually with about four or 5,000 students, and I hear them singing that from the top of their lungs, and half the people I know don't get it. And I pray for them, but I know some of them do. Because this week when they walked back into school, already had stories about the way Satan's tried to work in lives. About the way that Satan's creating obstacles. Guys, as Christians, we can't let that be the thing that drives us. We can't sit there and say to our family, we're going to hold you close and we're going to do everything we can protect you and let our friends and our family on the outskirts get tossed aside. And that brings me to groups. Why does Jeff think that groups are so important? Well, there's a saying that we use in this church, that you're better connected. Sometimes we even say it is that circles are better than rows. And that's not saying that while we're in here in a row in your pew right now, it's not important because this is, this is the antithesis of me being a Christian. This is when I get to bring my praise back to God and lay it at his feet. But I know that the problem solving and growing deeper, not having just John 3.16 memorized in my Bible or the verse that uh, Kent quoted there at the end, which I don't know if you know, it's James 1.22. He said in his prayer, let me be a doer of the word, not a hearer only, deceiving my own self. Because if I am, then it's just like I'm looking into a mirror. Just as soon as I walk away from the mirror, I forget what my image is. I've got that burned onto my heart. And if I'm going to live by James 1.22, it says be a doer, that means I've got to be in a circle. Now, for those of you that have never been as part of a small group or you have a problem with a group name, you wish it was all Sunday school again, hey, you come in the office, I refer it to Sunday school, Bible study, small groups, everything. The name doesn't matter. What matters is that every Sunday... We're blessed because there are groups that meet in all of this building, from children to adults. And they're sending birthday cards and they're sending care letters. They're making hospital visits. 
because they're doing life together. Guys, it's an impossibility to get everybody in a church together and try to do that because eventually somebody's going to say, well, there's not enough for me to do and they're going to fall off. But if you get together in 10, 12 people and you meet in a home, not only do you allow everybody to have a part of it, but you're able to bring those people that you know don't have any connection to Jesus Christ. That's why groups are important. That's why I hear a lot of people come up to me, man, I can remember when I was in youth group. I remember when I was in youth, it was so much fun. We'd go on trips together, we'd do all this stuff together. Guys, you want me to tell you something? I'm a part of a group here in the church. Now, there's 42 of us, 42 couples. But we're part of a group that we still go out and we act like a bunch of goofy teenagers. But we also speak in each other's lives. I'm a part of another group, which are young men. And they're walking in with struggles that I've never thought of in my life. And I'm sitting there going, you know what, I've got to be here for those people. But you want me to tell you something? We go to movies. We go to Krispy Kreme. But we sit down and we talk about Scripture. And how this thing is the only tool that we need when it comes to dealing with that spiritual warfare. So today I lied. It's 9.57. But as I wrap this up, I just want to tell you this, that today, today I need you to make a decision in your life that it's not enough just to come in and sit in pew. I need you to understand that you need to become a mile deep and maybe an inch wide instead of five miles wide and an inch deep. Because the difference you're going to make in that circle, in that group of friends, in those relationships, is eternal. You coming in and sitting in a pew, if that's all you do, I'm not saying this to beat you and berate you. I'm telling you this. The the life that God has for you is so much more than this. And you might not have ever thought that I could be used. You know what? When I throw out there and I say we're going to be looking for people to lead small groups, which is going to begin next week, by the way. You're going to see it. I don't want people that come up and just say, well, okay, I can put the DVD in. I look at them and I say, I don't care about the study as much as care for the people. Because the study is going to come. The tears are going to come. The struggles are going to come. But you're going to do life together. And I promise you this. I know this in my heart, and I've seen it happen so many times, that when people open up their lives and their homes, when they open up their minds to the idea that we're not supposed to be just in a sanctuary on Sunday, but we're supposed to be investing each other outside of this in children's programs, in youth programs, in adult programs, marriage, divorce, people that are struggling with 12-step programs. When we name all that stuff, the people that are on the outside that have no one else to call friend, they're going to look to us. And we can change an eternity. And we can change the next generation's eternity as well. So today, 
Let this time be a time of commitment. I'll be up here. If you've got something going on in your life and you just need somebody to pray about it, come up here. I'll pray with you. We've got people that will come up here and pray with you. Use the altar. If you need that time for the Lord's Supper, just a time of communion so you can spending time with God today take that moment and do that if you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior walk up here and tell me that I'm not telling you you have to join a church or you have to make a decision today I just want the opportunity to tell you that I want to talk with you about it don't let this day go by don't walk out of here with the same mindset either understand that we're created by God to make a difference in this world. Let's stand.